When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? We have a new episode of Crossed Up. Bob Wankel, Anthony Sanfilippo, and Anthony, I'm going to jump right into it, man. Don't want to waste any time with the pleasantries and the long intros. We are back. We're doing a second show like we told the people we would do. We are men of our word. Here we are doing a second Crossed Up this week. Yep. I told you we're back, baby, and we are back. Anthony, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, Bob. Looking, uh, looking forward to doing this twice a week. Uh, although, if we have more weeks like the Phillies had this past week coming forward, we might not be looking forward to doing these twice a week. <laughs> uh, I mean, the good news is you might be talking about a new manager. You know, you might be talking about more front office shakeups. I mean, there could be a lot of things to talk about if things kind of continue on this trajectory. And it's interesting. We record our first episode earlier in the week ahead of the Rocky series. And I think a lot of the things that we talked about going into that series are kind of still what we're talking about right now when we wake up here and, you know, it's going into the weekend with the Brewers coming to town. And it's interesting. The Phillies are sitting at five and eight and you kind of want to look at this and say, well, they're in trouble. This is not a very good team. But when you kind of just take a deep breath and if you watch the game unfold on Wednesday, you go, okay, there's offensive firepower here. The Rockies are a decent team. They play really well at home, and they have even when they've been poor, you know, overall. And like, I just kind of look at this and say, like, it's all right, everyone. Take a deep breath. I understand there are concerns. But what I'm going to try to do over the next, you know, 30, 40, 45 minutes as we work, work through this is try to get people to just take a deep breath and digest what they've seen and realize that there are some positives here and some really good things that you can lean on going into this weekend. Now, if they can't figure out their shit when they when they host the Brewers this weekend, it might be a very very different tune in our next episode that I'm singing personally. Yes, <laughs> I agree with you, Bob. I do. I I I think that there were. You know, I'm a pump the brakes guy. Whether you're going really good for a short period of time or going really bad for a short period of time, I'm always one of those people. I always want to say, hold the phone. Let's not get too excited. Let's not get too angry. Um, let's 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 wait and see. Now, yes, five and eight is is definitely not the start that you wanted for this season. Um, but like you said on the last episode, there's a lot of teams that are kind of in this same you know, within a game or two of each other, you kind of sit there and go, oh, I, that was kind of a start I wasn't expecting for that team. Um, I, I just, I, I can't help but sit there and say, you know, the shortened spring training kind of kind of affects things. So I'm okay with, with waiting just a little bit. Now, I'm not waiting long on this team this year. I'm not one of those people who's going to sit here and push it to July. Like, I've been, in the past, I've said, hold the phone, just, you know, carry through. If you can go 500 up until the All-Star break, then you see what happens at that point because you got the trade deadline and things can change, blah, 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 blah. You look at the schedule, maybe the schedule's lighter in the second half like it was last year. Whatever. I've always been that kind of guy. With this team, 
with this lineup, with this financial commitment to this roster, I, I don't give it much longer than, you know, middle of May. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I need to start to see that. When you say that you don't give them much longer till the middle of May, do you are you really saying you're not giving the manager much longer? Well, I mean, I think I, it's more than this. I mean, it's more than just the manager. Look, I don't necessarily always agree with Joe, but I also don't always blame Joe. Like, I look at certain things and say, like, well, that was a curious choice out of the bullpen there but then again at the same time it's like well shit if the lineup's not hitting when you when you've put all this money into this into this group like you these guys have to come through it's on that that's when it's on the players and you know it doesn't make a difference what guy you're going to in the seventh inning of a of a game where you're losing two to nothing the fact that you haven't scored in seven innings is not the manager's fault right you know what i'm saying so like there's there are times when i sit there and I'm, yeah you could you could put it on the manager but there's times when it can't be put on the manager. But so, so what change has to be made, right? I mean, you, you've you've redone the roster. You you've you've put all this money into these players. There really isn't any other choice, whether or not you think the manager is at fault, other than to try and if shake up the the team and then make a change like that. And I don't get a sense that this team doesn't like Joe Girardi. I think that they kind of do. And so like yeah. that to me, that would be the thing. Like if if you're still slogging along and you're not, you know playing up the snuff in the middle of May and you need to make a change to kind of wake the, wake these guys the hell out of their doldrums, the change might be to change the manager who they like. You know yeah, what I'm I mean, saying? Listen, when you step back and you look at this entire thing right now, I think it's very obvious that the, the major players involved here know that they're – are great expectations and that they don't have a lot of time to mess around here. I mean, listen, you look at where they're at right now and we talk about how nobody in major league baseball is really separating themselves. Everyone's just kind of, you know, off to a little bit of a sluggish start, except here's the problem. You look in the NL East. Yes. The Atlanta Braves are right there. The Washington nationals are right there, uh, right there. The uh, Miami Marlins are right there. You know, the one team that isn't right there though, the one team that has come out with their foot on the gas right from the jump, it's the Mets. And listen, we can do the LOL Mets thing. We can talk about ads, ah, the Mets. But the bottom line is they are doing this without their best pitcher right now. And they look like a better, a much better offense than they did a year ago. And again, small sample size. It's early. All of those qualifiers. I think we need to make a resolution, though, for the, at least on my end, for the rest of the show. I don't want to talk about small sample size and it's early. Let's just talk about what we've seen. The Mets are better than they were last year. And if you continue to stumble out of the gates and find yourselves seven, eight, nine games down by the middle of May, that's going to be a hell of a gap to chase down when you consider the talent on that team and the fact that their owner is ultra motivated to win and will keep his foot on the gas. So the Phillies are not in trouble right now as it sits. They're not screwed. They aren't incapable of making the postseason, but they, they do have to get going here. They can't afford to fall behind by a week's worth, two weeks worth of games. That's a sizable deficit to cut, and they're not going to be able to do it, in my, in my opinion. Now... That being said, you step back, look at the rest of the National League. You just lost two out of three to Colorado. You've got a, a pretty good Milwaukee team coming in here this weekend. Like, If you think that the Phillies going into the season were a wild card team, which I did, I didn't think that they were going to win the NL East, these are the games you have to win now. You know, you have to be able to come in at home and beat a team like Milwaukee, who is off to a pretty good start, but... 
They're not world beaters. So you have to get into a spot here where you start to play a little bit consistently and, and get everything to fire at once. You saw the offense sort of come to life a little bit those last two games in Colorado, but they dropped one of those games because they couldn't get the bullpen to perform when it needed to. It just seems like all these parts right now are misfiring a little bit. And so you hope that coming back home now after a rocky start, they can stabilize and try to find their footing a little bit. Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing about going up against Milwaukee is, you know, and I've, I think I, I don't know if I said this on the last episode or if I was arguing with my kids about Milwaukee. I, it, all these conversations kind of blur. You're not a Milwaukee me. guy. I know that. I'm not. I like their, I mean, obviously their rotation, their bullpen is really good. I mean, I'm not going to deny it i mean they it certainly are but i just think their lineup is crap i really do i don't think that they can win anything with that lineup um and so to me what i want to see more than anything else this weekend in this series is i want to see the phillies dominate their lineup i want to see their pitching phillies pitching dominate milwaukee's lineup I still believe firmly, you know, and one game in Colorado is not going to be the ha-ha, I told you, but, I mean, I still firmly believe that this offense will find its footing, and it will hey, listen, it will do what it's supposed to do, okay? Let me just jump in right here. It's amazing. So you step back and you look at how bad this offense has been, and they can't score, and all of these things. They are number five in Major League Baseball yeah. in OPS right now. <laughs> number five, 760 OPS. So you step back and look at it from a big picture, and you're like, they're underperforming, but they still are, are producing at an elite level, at least by that metric. And I know that OPS isn't the end-all, be-all, but when I scan all of the, the, yeah. the traditional statistics versus the advanced analytics, to me, OPS is the nice middle ground. It is. You know, it, what damage are you doing? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a good It's a good number to look at, especially when you're looking at team statistics, because then then it, then it's not a small sample size, right? I mean, you could, you could look at an individual player and say, well, it's only been 56 at-bats or whatever. Okay, fine. But when you look at a team over over the course of 13 games, now you're looking at a much larger number. And when you look at it and you say, oh, wow, they're fifth best in baseball. Oh, okay. That's not bad. That's actually pretty darn good, right? Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, I, I believe in this offense. I really do. Um, and my, my skepticism usually year in and year out is in the bullpen. But this year it's, it's a little bit more – I, I kind of like the back end of the bullpen. I, I don't like – I'm not certain. I'm still kind of in flux with the front end of the bullpen. But – the starting rotation to me is, and we talked about Aaron Nola last episode. Um, we talked a little bit about Zach Wheeler. I'm not so worried about Wheeler so much, but guys like uh, like like Eflin didn't have another. He had another rocky start against the Rockies. Um, that's a little bit concerning. Um, you know, Kyle Gibson seems like he only can get you so far, and then he kind of doesn't have it after that. Um, and, and then they don't have any. Obviously, they don't have any depth behind those five guys. So, like that is where my concern is. I want to see these guys come out here. Their third time through this rotation, they should be getting up to you know where they should be on the on their pitch counts to be able to throw your your 100 pitch games, okay, or at least close enough to it. Um, I want to see those games this weekend against this lineup, because if not, Bob, then I start to sit there and go, I, you know, as good as I think this offense is, I don't know if they're going to be able to out hit the problems of the pitching staff consistently enough over the course of a season. So it's really interesting when you look at the starting rotation, and I kind of coming in felt that this was a strength of the team so long as all five guys stayed healthy and, and stayed on the field. And that, I think, to me, take the offensive struggles, and I understand that there have been some and there have been games that have been very frustrating where they're just not generating the type of offense you'd expect, but 
The starting pitching to me is really what's been the surprise so far, but there are two different ways to look at this. So first of all, so far, 13 games, starter ERA this year, 5.43. Horrible. Sixth worst in all of baseball. But one of the things that we've kind of been focusing on is, wow, they're not getting any length out of their starting pitching. I mean, there's just there's nobody that's really getting deep into games. But this is really problematic across the board. You know, when you look at the entire landscape of Major League Baseball, they're still top 10 in innings per start from their from this rotation. And you kind of go, wow, they're going like four, five plus. They're not getting any length. But this is what we're seeing all across the game right now. Yeah, and I understand that. Again, but, I, you know, I, if, you, if this is really, like you said, a strength of this team, it's got to be the strength of this team. It's got to be a strength of this team. It can't be, well, we'll get there eventually sometime down the road in the summer. It's got to be a strength from now. And, and that's my concern, and that's why I, I sit here and, 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 you know, I say that. You know, I, I want to see them. I want to see them have a good series against a not-so-good lineup. Well, what's interesting is if you're a Phillies fan, and we do this, and we'll do this 35 more times throughout the course of the season. This is a big series. They've got to win this series. They need to make a statement. They need to get hot. But forget the wins and losses here. Right. Just look at this series and the way it lines up. Tonight, you have Ranger Suarez, who was a revelation a year ago. Tough start against the Mets his first time out. Again, delayed spring training, a little bit behind schedule to be expected. He was decent against Miami last Saturday. You want to see him take another step forward, maybe get through six innings, right. maybe you know, give them a quality start, which they have not had many of here at the beginning of this season. So that's kind of the hope tonight. They're getting a guy on the other side in, in Freddie Peralta who's been a, a mess. You know, he's got some talent, but I believe he's given up seven or nine earned runs in seven innings or something to that effect. He's really struggled, uh, you know, throwing strikes on a consistent basis so far this season. So there's an opportunity there that you would think tonight. Just keeping it in, in focus with the pitching, tomorrow you get Zach Wheeler, and this is a hold-your-breath night. And forget the the, the the final line. Is the velocity ticking upward? Is he at least holding his velocity into the fourth, fifth inning in this game? Or is he at 92, 93 by the time he's 50, 60 pitches in? So you hold your breath on Saturday in that matchup. Not so much about the results, but just is the arm actually coming back and then Sunday, I love this game, Sunday. You have Aaron Nola on the mound, national television. The backdrop of this game, and I tweeted this when they were down to the Rockies on Wednesday, but can you imagine Phillies come out, lose the first two games of this series, and they're 5-10, and 10, national TV, they've spent all this money, it's the Fanatics' birthday, I don't know how many people will be in the stands, but it could get ugly. It could get ugly very quickly. And if Aaron Nola gives you one of those Aaron Nola starts that we've seen too far or far too often the last year plus, ooh, you know that could be that could be quite an interesting backdrop. But I thought Nola the other night certainly when you look at the final line very good. I have a, a thing here though, and I'm kind of curious and see what you think. He was better in his third start. I thought it was interesting that he was pulled from the game when he was. And I know we could talk about third time through the lineup and pitch counts and trying to ramp guys up. Mm -hmm. I felt when I watched that mm -hmm. that it was more about 
trying to make sure that Aaron Nola felt good about himself when he walked off the mound in that start moving forward. And I thought it was less about the matchups and pitch counts and him being out of gas. Your thoughts on that? And that, and that very well may be true. Um, and, it, and it's a curious timing because, I mean, that's the game that they, they end up losing 4-1, I think, right? Um, Jose Alvarado came in. Yeah. And it looked like he was intentionally trying to throw the ball to the backstop. Yeah, he couldn't. He, you know, he no matter no matter how much Real Muto tried to stop him, he just kept trying to find holes to throw through. Um, uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, they get behind, what was it, 2-0 and then 4 nothing, and they got a run late, and it was I think 4-1 was the final, if I'm not mistaken, in that game, right? Um yeah, I, so the, the, I guess the, the curious part of that is I, I understand why you would want to do that, but if in, in a game where your offense is not clicking, why not stick with the guy who's pitching well? I, I, and I could, I can, I could see your argument there. Like, I mean, now if, it'd be different if you know if it was he was having that game and and they may, maybe they're up three one at that point. And you say, all right, let's get him out. You know, the offense got us a few runs. We're trying to, we're going to try and get this win with the bullpen. You know, make him feel good about this start. Okay, I could kind of, I could kind of, sort of see that. But you know me, I want pitchers to go as long as possible, right? I'm, a, I'm an old school starting pitching guy, right? I'm a Dave Dombrowski guy. He says he likes his starting pitchers to go long, longer term. Um, I, I, again, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the rationale is other than what you suggested, and then maybe it's still. We're not quite ready to go 100 pitches with these pitchers yet, and that's the only that's the only other argument I can make. But I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have pulled them there. And the indications are that I think they feel fourth, fifth start. That's where you sort of take the training wheels off and let them rip. I just looked at the game and the way it was flowing. He's at 84 pitches when they remove him, and he had thrown 76 in each of his previous two starts. So if you're talking about uh, you know a linear build and and wanting to kind of have some type of progression that doesn't involve an extreme dr- jump. You know, 84 pitches, I guess, is a fair a fair spot to be in when you you pull them from the game there. But again, I felt like, and maybe this is me um, looking at it more from a the high school perspective. I hate to say that. I don't want to, you know, Mickey Mouse this thing. But I don't know. It was an important game. They, they struggled in Miami. I felt like that they needed to come out and win that series or, you know, stabilize a little bit. And it just is such a timid approach for me in a spot where a guy's going well. It's not like he was struggling to find the ball, you know, find the seams, find the location. I just would like to see a little bit more aggressiveness from the dugout. We talk about Joe Girardi all the time. My biggest complaint, I think, is is one that is shared by many people. There just seems at times not to be the urgency that you want. And I think that that comes from the manager and I think it flows down. And I don't think it's a coincidence that often this team seems to just kind of be stuck in this, okay. this in between. Well, and here's what I'll say. And I, I don't disagree with you. I think that you, I think you got that pretty, pretty spot on. Um, I, I think that Girardi's where he's had success in his past is that, you know, you look at this and say, if this is going to be, if we are going to make that run and we are going to be a playoff team and we're going to try and, you know, win something, um, you, you can't let the let the highs get you too high and the lows get you too low, right? And you got that whole thing and you got to you got to kind of muddle through it and you just got to, you know, be emotionless about it a little bit sometimes. 
and and not have that urgency in April that you need to have in in September. And I get it. And and so you could sit there. You no, know I know this is going to be on YouTube, but if, if you're listening to this in your car and you don't have the video component of this, allow me to just interject <laughs> with a big. Well, I'm just saying, Bob. I mean, that's the. Th- I mean, the thing is, is that you know you could be you could be you know rah rah high intensity. But then eventually it gets to a point where like that burns out and that message doesn't that message doesn't land any longer, right? So do you do you are you better off trying to be a little bit more low key and then when you need to get to that level, then then it hits a little but bit more. But I agree. Of, but I agree with you. I agree with you. Some type of in between where it's, you don't have to be peak Larry Boa, right? But you could maybe have a little bit more juice. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I think that that's the one criticism that's that's very fair of Joe. Um, I think it's very fair, and I think because I do think that a, a team um, responds to the, the, you know, the the personality of their manager. I, I do think that that's fair. Um, and, and you know, when you think back to the great successes that the Phillies had back with Charlie, I mean, why was that so successful? Because he was a, he was beloved. He, he was a lovable guy. Not just by the players, but the media loved him and the fans loved him. And so, therefore, you know. Not always, but. Well, yeah, yeah but at, yeah. at first they didn't. At first they didn't. But, I mean, but eventually they did. I mean, they, they kind of grew to love the guy. And I think that that kind of was, you know, you know hey, you know, we, can, we, we don't have to worry about it because we know we can turn this on when right. we need to turn it on. Um, and the Phillies are, this current group is not a we know we can turn it on when we need to turn it on group. They should be. They should be that kind of group, and maybe eventually they get there this season. But you're right. Right now they're not, and so maybe it would behoove Joe to to be a little bit more urgent to kind of get that part of the team going so that maybe come you know, June, July, if you have a stretch like this, then he can, then he can go back to being a little bit more passive, knowing that the, the guys will sit there and go, yeah, yeah, we know we can turn it on when we need to turn it on. But you can't, you know, you got you have to have that happen first. And I think that that's, I think that what you're saying is is a very fair point. Uh, a, I think that that's my primary criticism of what I've seen now for multiple years, not just the the two weeks that we've kind of taken in here at the start of 22. I think it's unfair. You know, there was a tweet that came out. WIP, I think, actually asked it two different ways this week. Joe Girardi, should he be fired? Should Joe Girardi be on the hot seat? And I think that those two questions have two very different answers. Should you fire your manager 13 games into a season? I think that that's insane. Right, I if do too. If you over the course of an offseason evaluate your picture and say, we're going to make a financial commitment, we're going to spend, expectations rise. There's no doubt. It's time for this team to go where it has not been since 2011. Everybody universally agrees with that. But if you size up the picture and you, you take inventory of what you have and you decide that Joe Girardi is your guy at the start of this season, there's nothing, almost virtually nothing that could happen over the span of two weeks that should make you say, nope, we're pulling the plug on this right now. I mean, not even Gabe Kapler's first two weeks in 2018 probably should warrant that type of of action or reaction correct. at this point. Correct. You're correct. I want to I want to say something though. I know it's a slight pivot from where we're at on this conversation, but it's something that you just said. You made this commitment in the off season, this financial commitment, this big financial commitment in the off season to this to this team and to get get to where you want to go. I, I've been thinking about it, and in retrospect, I don't think they made this commitment 
until after the CBA was agreed. Sure. I think that before the CBA was agreed, there was still the old school mentality of we're not crossing that threshold. I really firmly believe that. And I look at things and I I look at a couple outings so far that really frustrate me. And I look at the bull. Again, let me go to the bullpen here for a second. You know, it's amazing that the bullpen is the thing that really hasn't been talked about with this team. Right. Well, I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain why. So we, the Phillies, did not bring back Hector Neris in a role that he would have been. Now, obviously, you don't want him to be a closer anymore. It was not something that he could really do well. But what he did do well is that seventh, eighth inning kind of role. Sixth, seventh, eighth inning. Give him, give you an inning or an inning and a, inning and two thirds or two if you needed be, and pitched really well. They didn't want to bring him back for whatever reason. Thirty-two years old, he signs in Houston, two years, seventeen million dollars. Instead, choose to replace him with Yaris Familia on a one-year, six million dollar deal. So now they you've saved not just eleven million because you only had to sign him for one year, but you saved two million in the first year, right? Because of because of this as well. This guy hasn't been good since 2016, and I can even argue that 2016 wasn't that great a year, even though he had 50-some saves or whatever it was. Uh, I, I can say go back even a year further than that. The point is, is that that to me is, is something where you're, you're looking at it and saying, we need to go cheap here. And, that can, and, that, and then you look at, how, at the results so far, and Familia has not been good. Not been good for the Phillies. Kind of, you know, let two games get out of hand so far this season. I mean, gives up the home run, right, against C.J. Crone, which is a killer. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. But also um, had another, another relief appearance where they were only down a run or something like that, and he gives up. I think it was, it was, it was that same game we we're talking about, right? It was the 4-1 game where it was 2-0, um, and then he gives up two more runs, and then it's 4-0. It's like, well, all right, now you're not coming back. You're, you, you just knocked the team out of con- contention. Meanwhile, Hector Neris is pitching lights out. Again, five appearances – only five appearances, lights out for Houston. Like, like would you rather have that at the back end of your bullpen right now with this group? Like, Familia is the one guy in the back end. Like, I don't. I like Brad Hand. I like Knebel. I'm not a fan of uh, Alvarado or or Familia, and and that's where I get a little bit concerned with the bullpen. I don't think either one of those guys are guys you can trust. So Hector Neris, uh, six appearances, five and a third innings pitch, two hits, one hit batter, no walks. Opponents hitting 111 against him with a 0.38 whip. Two years, $17 million. Uh, fairly, I think, uh, reasonable deal. $8.5 million a year over two seasons. And I know that Hector Neris was not loved uh, in this city, and he had his moments. I mean, hell, there were at least two different occasions looked where he was on the uh, the brink of being run out of here. But he sort of stable, stabilized himself and talked to people in the clubhouse. They love him. He was a great guy. I don't know. You know, it's it, it is an interesting thought that you have and about the the sequencing. And I mean, they did go out and they spent six on hand after the fact, like you were right. alluding to, but six on Familia. 10 on Knievel. It's not as if they're not spending any money, but yes, the, the, there's like a line of demarcation there in which they, they kind of decided, okay, how are we going to allocate this money? And I think if they were able to kind of 
hit the the reset button on the offseason, they probably would have handled this differently. I, I do think that that's certainly fair. And yes. I and I think that that's and I think that that's the frustration to me, because it's almost like, and I'm not blaming Dombrowski here because I think Dombrowski was operating within the parameters that he was given. Yeah. So my complaint is more with Middleton and ownership that they kind of moved the goalposts a little bit, almost like before before they you know. Um, had the agreement in place, it was almost like, yeah, we're, we're staying the course, doing things the way we've always done. And then, you know, once you come back out of it and you can go, okay, we could sign Schwarber and Castellanos and, you know, and, and really make a run at this. Okay. Now we'll, now we'll spend the money. And, you and you've I'll already say, made, though, you've already done half of your work. And the last thing I want to do, I, I truly don't want to talk about uh, the CBA. I don't want to yeah, talk yeah. about this, but no expectation, no no ability to kind of read ahead and, and have a feeling about how those negotiations were going right. to play out. Do you think the Phillies were su- – I, I mean, I guess you do. I, I find this to be a little bit surprising, though. you think the Phillies were caught off guard about how the CBA played out? It's not that I think that they were caught off guard. I think that where – I think where ownership was kind of caught off guard was how quickly the players would would give in. In a lot of ways, but I mean, like you know, I think when we were talking, Bob, briefly, um, while this whole thing was going on, like we were all looking at it and saying, you know, the, they don't start losing money until May first because that's when the TV they have to start giving money back on the TV deal. Um, so they could, you know, the ownership I think was willing to drag it out. I think they were willing to drag it out into April, like you know, beyond where they did. And then all of a sudden, you had a deal mid March. It's like, whoa, whoa, what happened? And I think it was where, that's where the players kind of gave in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think that maybe caught the Phillies a little bit by surprise that the players gave in there. And then of course you come back out of it and it's like okay now we have to we still have to add a, a player or two. And you had two guys who both play the same position but who can really help your lineup. Um, both wanted to come here. And you know you say well if we throw that money and now we have to cross this threshold. Okay fine we'll do it. We'll finally spend that money that we need to spend. But you could have had that plan from Jump Street. And if you had that plan from Jump Street, if you knew you were going to go a, a, over the oh, There's the no limit. doubt. If they knew that they were going to spend, hey, on October 1st, this this season, you're going to get $225 million plus to spend. Right. They would have built this team differently. It would have been built right? differently. And so, and so that's why I put the blame right now on if there are shortcomings – if you look and say there's no depth in the starting rotation, or the bullpen could be a little bit better, um, or you didn't add it, def- you didn't really look at defensive defense when you were putting this thing together. Like whatever you want to, whatever little part of the team that's not right right now, I think you put that on ownership for not being willing to commit the money that they committed until what it was far enough down the line that you really couldn't go back and fix everything at once. Who's the uh, guy I'm thinking of? He pitched for the White Sox, uh, Carlos Rodon. Yeah, went right? signed sign with the Giants. Signed with the Giants. I mean, again, it's it's early, but uh, you know, two times through, and a guy that's had some success yeah. in the last couple seasons, and he's looked very good uh, in two starts. So that would be and, and signed a reasonable deal this offseason. To me, you talk about a team that that lacks pitching depth and starting rotation, and a move like that might have made quite a bit of sense now they might tell you hey listen we went out and traded for kyle gibson last offseason he's making decent money uh we love ranger suarez zach efflin we believe in and so a guy like radon doesn't make a ton of sense because we have five really good guys but 
Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have six. Right. And you need you need six, seven, eight. Like those guys need to be here, even if they're not Carlos. Well, Rodon. You, don't, you don't need Carlos Rodon if you have two interesting options sitting at Lehigh Valley, and they they do not. Right. So that's I think the, that that's where a guy like you know you look at this all in situation. It's time to win. That's where he makes a little bit more sense for the Phillies. Yeah, but, and, and, yeah, and you know what, Rodon? So if you let's just let's just you know play revisionist history here real quick. Um, Rodon, let's say you do go there, right? Carlos Rodon, you, you sign him. What does that make Ranger Suarez? It puts Ranger Suarez into that unique role that he was in a year ago, which was where he where he excelled, where he could be a three inning guy out of the pen, or he could help the back end of the bullpen, or if there was an injury, he could yeah. jump in and start yeah. and be that wild card extra guy yeah. that really makes your team good, right? I mean, so there's nothing wrong with that. And and they didn't they left themselves short there, and you know what like I, I really I look at the forty man and I'm like, who's coming in man to start? Hans Kraus, Gally <laughs> Falter time. So uh, this has not happened yet. So let's just focus on what we what we. This is a I think we'll get a chance to revisit this conversation. Absolutely, we will. I have a feeling we're going to have an opportunity to revisit this conversation. Unfortunately. But so I, I want to just kind of run through a couple quick things here. Uh, you see the, the week that Kyle Schwarber had in Colorado. Are we off the, the panic button uh, on Kyle Schwarber? I mean, I don't know that you or I were ever on it, but I know that the city was melting down through 10 games after watching him bounce into double plays every other night. And- well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I was never on the panic button, um, but I also had tempered expectations for him to begin with. He's not a 300 hitter. Right. right, the guy's just not going to hit that well. I mean, he's going to get on base and he's going to hit home runs, and so you just as long as his on base percentage is pretty good and and he's hitting the home runs with the regularity that you need him to hit the home runs, I'm cool with Kyle, Kyle Schwarber in the lineup. So no, so I was not panicked, but at the be, same time, I was not. I don't. I don't have high great expectation. I don't think he's an all star by any stretch of the imagination. So my question to you would be: Do you put him back in the leadoff spot eventually, where they? <laughs> theoretically signed him to be in the first place or do you say you know what this is going to work just let him hit in the middle of the lineup they can figure it out up top with other guys like Gene Segura and JT Real Muto which is what they seem to want to do at least that's what they want to do this weekend yeah, we talked a little bit about this last week the one thing I, I mean I don't mind Schwarber leading off the one thing that because I don't you know I understand we're in an era where there's unconventional leadoff hitters and you don't really have a more conventional guy uh, to put in that spot but I do, con- I do have a concern when you get to the seventh inning and a team looks and says, oh, you got Schwarber, Hoskins, Harper coming up. Let's go get a lights-out lefty out of the pen, and we got two out of the three. Right. Right? I mean, so that's – that to me, and that's at the top of your lineup every time. I, I don't particularly like that. If you were going to – as long as you can keep a gap of two players between Schwarber and Harper, I'm okay with it. So do you want to bat Harper cleanup? If you go one four with them, uh, okay. If not, if you want to keep Harper at two or three, then you got to bat Schwarber down, and, and I'm, I'm and I'm okay with that too. I just genuinely don't believe that this lineup has been settled yet, um, and I know thirteen that there different are a lot lineups of in thirteen different games. No, and I I don't think that they know. You know, I think that the teams always want to tell you we have a plan, we know what we're doing. If Plan A doesn't work, we have a Plan B in place, and I I don't want to come across in an insulting manner. I don't think that Joe is sitting in his office throwing darts, 
But I, I do think that he thinks about this lineup and says, I just don't know yet. And that's not ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about two weeks. So but I, I just think that we are going to continue to see this lineup jumble again and again and again over the next two to three weeks. And I know Joe kind of expressed that we want to try to stabilize things at the top and run with this Real Muto, Segura, you know, if, if Real Muto's not playing, Badgeen the one. I, I just don't think that they have any stability there whatsoever, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't figure this out for, for at least a few more weeks. And don't be surprised, Bob. I'm going to throw this out there, too. Great. I'm going to love this. You are going to love this. And it, I mean, it could be as soon as tonight, but probably maybe not till the next series. Um, I think Odubel's going to be back in this on, on this roster. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, I, and, if, and if they still have some volatility at the top of the lineup, he might get a couple shots up there. <laughs> he might. I think that if you've read me, listened to me over the last two years – um, Odubel Herrera, I'll start by saying, I guess we have to do the whole disclaimer, right? Like, we don't agree with what he did. He's a, I guess he was a bad guy. Maybe he still is. Different people have different beliefs about, can you rehabilitate yourself after something like that? Or is that just kind of ingrained in you? And we don't need to dive into the morality issue here. I'm not really interested uh, in having that conversation at this point. But just from a, a purely, purely baseball standpoint, when I look at Odubel Herrera, I think that there is a place for him on a major league roster. I do think that he's a useful player. And I think that when you look at the Phillies' continued deficiencies in the outfield on multiple levels, Odubel Herrera probably should be in this lineup. Uh, you know, and I, I know that are, there are probably people listening to this going, oh, my God, you know, and I understand in 2022 that we're still doing Odubel Herrera. Like, how is this still a thing? I get the frustration, but the reality is what the reality is. And the reality is that they have an issue in center field and he probably continues to be their best option, at least from a, a pure talent standpoint. That's my appetite for Odubel Herrera as a baseball player, as a fourth outfielder that can kind of come in and hit righties. But when you tell me that he may be a guy that hits at the top of the lineup for this team, that's where you lose me. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I'm just saying that's something I can't get behind. I can get behind Odubel Herrera two to three times a week, hitting eight, hitting nine. Imagine Odubel Herrera against a righty hitting nine. Like, then you got yourself some juice in your lineup. You know that you have a deep lineup at that point. But Odubel Herrera running out batting leadoff, uh, that just, that's something that if, if you're watching this right now, you can see my face as I'm saying this. I mean, I'm, I'm completely exasperated by that. <laughs> well, I, and, I, and I tend to agree with you. Like, and I, and I've, my argument for Herrera for last year and this year is, yeah, yeah he's not a leadoff hitter. He's not a two-hitter. He's not a top-of-the-lineup guy. But you could do a hell of a lot worse than Odubel batting at the bottom of your lineup sure. and playing half the time or platooning in center field. Uh, you could do a lot worse in this in this league, and a lot of teams do a lot worse in this league than Odubel does. I mean, if you really look at his numbers from last year, they're not awful. They're not great, but they're, they're not actually really not bad when you look at what he did down the stretch, yeah. and they're really not bad when you look at what he did down the stretch, especially against righties. Yeah, so I mean, they're not awful. 
you can unlock the value of Odubel Herrera. <laughs> I can't believe I just said this, but you kind of can unlock the, the value of Odubel Herrera when used properly. And using him properly does not entail putting him out there six times a week, especially against lefties, especially at the top of the order. But uh, I do think that he is a, a useful, you know, tweener, fourth outfielder type. Len- lengthens your bench, too, in a lot of ways. It sure does. I mean, because when you look at it right now, that's another concern that I have is that they don't have a bench. I mean, Yeah, c- so I had, I had this thing here, and I, I told you we were going to try to keep it to 45 minutes, and I'm watching the clock tick away at 39 yeah. now. But yeah. I do kind of have a, a couple questions here, and it sort of, I guess, all ties in together, and so we can just sort through all of this at once. Uh, the Phillies bench has not really been talked about at this point because some of the prominent players have struggled, because the starting pitch, uh, pitching issues that have existed. But at some point down the line here, and probably sooner rather than later, we're going to have to talk about the bench and, and what, how, you know, sort of how this thing stacks up, especially uh, as the, the roster sizes shrink and all that. Um, you have Alc Bohm, who had the nightmare game against the Mets in the opener, game four of the season, has since been a little bit better defensively. He's swung a hot bat. You have to keep him on the field at this point, right? Didi Gregorius looks like he's day-to-day with an injury, uh, the hand issue. Johan Camargo has been awesome. Bryson Stott has been disappointing. What, like, what do you make of this whole thing, I guess, if we can just lump all of this together? I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, you know, and the thing is, is that just as soon as you're ready to say, well, okay, we've got to keep Bowman to line up, Stott's struggling, maybe you send Stott down, um, you know, get – get him playing regularly in triple a and you know get a, get his uh his swing back or whatever he needs to do um and then you know you know inevitably what's going to happen that Bohm's gonna have another bad game in third or he's gonna start to go cold and it's like okay see now what do we do um so yeah so it's, it's kind of a tough call but i do think that that might be the right way to go at least for a short term bob is is maybe go with Bohm at third um and then you know, DD slat. I mean, assuming DD's healthy, obviously he has the the hand injury. Um, we're gonna see what that is. But you got DD, and then you got Camargo, who can kind of play either position if need be. Um, or Bohm can go over to first and give Reese a day off, or give Reese a DH spot. Um, and and uh, yeah, and I think Stott. I mean, look, I, I saw a couple of this. I mean, he's 0 for what? 0 for 18 now. But you know, his last couple of the bats weren't brutal. In Colorado, he made some nice contact on a couple of balls, hit the ball hard, just right at people. I mean, the last at bat was a strikeout, but he was sent up there with the intention of trying to just get on base, take some pitches, and he took the first. He was down. He was up 2-0, and then the next two pitches were borderline strikes, 2-2, and then eventually he strikes out on a slider that he had no chance on that he swings at. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that he's close, and I think he's the kind of kid that can get it back quick. I don't think he's like a Scott Kingery type, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, I, th- I like his, his mental makeup. I think that he has a plan. I think that even struggling here early on, I'm not really sure that his confidence is, is wavered or, or anything of that nature. And he's talked a little bit about being a little bit jumpy, making contact a little bit ahead of where he wants to be. It's very obvious there is a little bit of a press going on here. The, the strike zone sort of expanding on him a little bit. And the thing that was so impressive about him in Clearwater was, wow, look at the pitch selection. He, like, he knows how to work counts when to get his pitch, and we haven't seen that as much lately. My concern with Bryson Stott is two things. And listen, the last five games, he's 0 for his last 16, 7 strikeouts. He's only been on base once. He, he's walked once. 
the problem that I have is, and we're talking here on April 22nd, you go back to last Friday, and since, or actually, I guess since the third game of the Marlins series, he went 0 for 5, then he went 0 for 3 on, I believe, Monday night, and then had a pinch hit on Tuesday. And I, granted, there's been a day, a day off mixed in here, but you're talking about, you know, eight plate appearances, nine plate appearances for a guy over a six, seven-day span. And the thing that you you talked about with Bryson Stott was, I don't care if he plays second, short, third, all of the above, but he's got to get consistent at bats. Yeah. And so if Joe, needing to win now and needing to win early and get this team righted, feels that Bryson Stott isn't the guy that's going to do it, then you got to get him out of here. You can't do this thing where uh, we'll play you every th- third day, we'll give you a pinch hit the other days, and you're getting seven to ten plate appearances a week. It's not going to work. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right about that. And you see, the thing of it was, Bob, and I think that that 0 for 5 is what – I mean, that's he got he struck out five times in that game, right? I mean, if I'm not mistaken – at least four. Yeah, yeah. I, think so this, the, uh, I think he just did strike out five times, right? And, and it kind of got lost a little bit because it came in a 10-3 win. It was the one game that they win in Miami and, yeah. and everybody else hit. They got out to an early start, so you kind of say, ah, no big deal. But, yeah, I mean, that was the that was the game where you said, uh-oh, yeah. you know, this this is something we have to look at now. Yeah, when you strike out five times in a game, there's the other team's got something figured out on you and you don't know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's the, that's the key. I mean, he's got to figure out how teams are pitching him. And and once he does, and I think he will. I think he will figure it out. I do too. I, I do too. Um, but at the same time, like you said, if it's a situation now where the Phillies are five and eight, and not that they're eight and five, does it behoove you to just send him? Even if you only send him down for two weeks, send him down. Just let him let you know. Work on your work on hitting a little bit. Let's get this team figured out up here, and then we'll bring you back. The kind of thing. And you would think I would be. Able, I think you, you have to do that. Two weeks ago, you look at this offense and say, wow, you have Schwarber and Castellanos and Harper and Real Muto and Gene Segura, and look at this, plus, 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 all the way up and down. Bryson Stott doesn't have to be that guy. Mm-hmm. It takes some of the pressure off. Yeah. And in a perfect world, that is the case. And, and, and in theory, that should still be the case moving forward, but they need him to be functional. Right. And he has not been since that opening series, and now that creates an issue where, especially when Johan Camargo has played as well as he has, he's, I think, the really the, the wild card in this entire thing. Yeah. And he can play pretty good defense in multiple positions, and so... I think Johan Camargo came to Philadelphia, by the way, because he felt that he could start here. Right? Yeah. Johan Camargo didn't come to the Phillies to to play once a week. Right. So I think he understood that there was an opportunity that things could go wrong. He knew that Didi Gregorius was coming off a bad year. He knew that Bryson Stott was unproven. He knew that Alec Bohm struggled in 2021. He knew what was going on when he came here. And so far, to his credit, he sees the opportunity. Yep. And, if nothing else, it creates a little competition. The Phillies have enough pressure to compete and win games as it is, but internally on a roster, there's there's a difference between external and internal competition. And the Phillies right now have some internal competition in that infield, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. And, and you talk about the no pressure that that you know that you were expecting for Bryson Stott. That's kind of been what's worked for Alec Bohm. Like he's not had to be in the pressure spots that he was in a year ago. And that's, I think that's why he's been as you know more successful. Yeah, he's made a couple of changes um, to the way he's approaching approaching things at the plate, but there's a lot less pressure on him right now because. So of I want to talk about Alec Bohm uh, very quickly uh, before before we get out of here. And we talked a little bit about him, I guess, on Monday's show, and I had sort of hypothesized just based on what has been said by other people as well that 
think the Phillies could be angling potentially here to drum up some some trade interest for Alec Bohm. And Ken Rosenthal actually wrote an interesting piece uh, in his notes column for The Athletic. I guess it was on Thursday, I believe this appeared. You look at the investments the Phillies have had in, in this offense and guys that really are not plus defenders by any stretch of the imagination. And it kind of it sets up an interesting scenario moving forward. Reese Hoskins is under contract one more year beyond 2022. And you have Alec Bohm across the infield. To me, I don't see a scenario where you have an aging Bryce Harper, an aging JT Real Muto, you have a, a, a bad defender in Alec Bohm and a bad defender in Reese Hoskins, and the investments in Shorburn Castellanos. Something's got to give here. Like the Phillies aren't going to move forward with both Hoskins and Bohm. Those are the two guys that you have a little bit of flexibility with, whether it's just simply allowing Reese Hoskins to play out his original contract and then he becomes a free agent, or do you move one of those guys? And I think the Phillies will probably be a little bit more proactive in this regard. I'm not telling you that this July they're going to trade Reese Hoskins or Alec Bohm, but there is an interesting dynamic that's playing out slowly here. The Phillies have to make a decision what they want to do. There's no way moving forward that they're going to put big-time investments in both Reese Hoskins and then allow Alec Bohm to play across, whether it be at third base or first base or DH. Yeah, and I think that that's and I think that that's a that's a, a really good long look at this because I think that you know you're right. I don't think this is something that the Phillies are looking to make this change. You know, tomorrow, or uh, you know, if they have to make a trade or whatever the case might be, I don't think it's I don't think it's something they're looking to do tomorrow. But I do think it's something that's kind of on their radar and say, when can we make the, When can this make the most sense for us? You know, how do we how do we make it work? And how can we make ourselves better using this potential of moving one of these guys? I, I do think it's I do think it will happen this year. I, I don't think that come September that all all these guys are on this roster. Um, I've been alluding to this for a year now. I just think it depends on who, which one it is, Bob, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of said, I, I considered it at some point, uh, with Reese Hoskins and, and I know he's, he's maybe the most likable guy on the team and, you know, a face of the franchise and, and all that stuff. Or, you know, I think that was the thought at a, at a time and a very productive hitter and, and all of those things. Great, great dude. I just wonder though. Uh, especially now with Schwarber and Castellanos here, if, if he's long for this organization. And I, I, I do wonder that. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that he's out the door. And I'm, I, it actually could be very much possible that, that Alec Bohm is the guy that, that is not here. But I, I don't foresee a scenario in which all of these guys as constructed, like you look at this team and you know that defensively it has deficiencies. I don't think there's any, any chance at all that the Phillies are going to move forward with this same defense going into next year. You know, they're just not going to do it. And so how do you improve? Do you go out and sign a premium center fielder and spend even more money? At some point, something has to give. So that's my thought on that. But more in the short term with Alec Boom, is he the guy that we saw in 2020? Is he the guy we saw in 2021? Is he some blend in, in somewhere in between? I mean, you look at these statistics right now. I believe Todd Zalecki, I want to give credit where credit's due since uh, people don't always give crossing broad credit on things. Um <laughs> <laughs> you like that that might be the sound clip I, I think this is going to be the sound clip on twitter yes i am going to make sure that todd's lucky gets credit for this i believe i was reading something uh from him uh yesterday in which he said that out is fifth on the team in hits despite the 11th most played appearances i believe he wrote so that being said do you believe in what you're seeing here um 
we're, you know, I mean, I'm not telling you that he's going to hit 500 this season, but is he a must-play at this point? For now. For now, he is, I think. I mean, okay, I could see giving him, a, you know, a game off a week or, or something like that. You want to still still keep his confidence up, right? I mean, you know, even if he has a couple good games, say, all right, you know, take a break and we'll get right back out there again. Um, but, yeah, I think for now you have to keep him in. And then if it, if it, if he starts to go south – then you take him out again. But, yeah, you have to manage, I think you have to manage it as he's playing. And if he's playing well, keep giving him the at-bats. Keep, keep, keep giving him the shot. You know? Wouldn't that be a cool story? You know, listen, the, he comes in and, and he has this disastrous start and everybody's crushing him. He does the safe face thing after the game. And I know that we all gave him a round of applause about how he handled it. I did. I thought he handled it very well. Was it fully sincere? Who knows? But I think he handled it in the moment as best as he possibly could after the game. And now all of a sudden he comes out and he's just crushing it and everyone loves him. I mean, he's going to, assuming he's in the lineup tonight or, you know, Saturday, whenever he plays here, he's going to get probably one of the biggest applauses of any player on this team right now. Not only for what he what he said after that Mets game, but really for how he's performed since. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It would be a rare positive story for this team. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. They're due for something like that. I've been saying this for three years. They're due for a guy, and I know he was a top five draft pick, and I know he's supposed to be the guy, but like, it would be great to see something unexpected go well for this team. And after his 2021, wouldn't it be nice if he was that guy? Like, where is the Shane Victorino for this team? Where is the Jason Worth for this team? It's it's time for it's time for something to pan out that you weren't necessarily counting on. Yeah. No, 100%, Bob. 100%. Um, two quick things to wrap this thing up. They have nothing to do with the Phillies. <laughs> but they have to do, once again, with uh, – we talked a little bit last week about, you know, quote-unquote unwritten rules, whether you want to say these are unwritten rules or not, just kind of along the same lines. Uh, they're probably not unwritten rules in these cases, but definitely were controversial. I think it occurred the night we recorded last, last week – Joe Madden walks Corey Seager with the bases loaded. Smart? Or is that ridiculous? Are you going to t- – can I know which side of this you're going to be on? It's ridiculous. Come on. You're giving a team a run. How's that? How's there any intelligence behind this whatsoever? With one, yeah, with one, with one out, the, no less. Yeah, with one out, no less. I'm the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and it backfired. I know they actually – they went on to win the game. Yeah, they right? did. They, but in the moment, it did not pan out. I think they gave up three, two more runs beyond, yes. so it was a three-run inning. Yeah, and listen, we talked earlier in this show about instilling confidence and sending a message to your players. What does that do to a pitcher? You say, I don't have trust in you to get this guy out. It's not like peak Babe Ruth was off. Was I mean, Corey Seager. Like but come on, man. <laughs> That's ridiculous. In the, fourth, That's- in the fourth inning. Fourth inning, one out in the inning, and you're going you're gonna to intentionally walk a guy and walk give, give the other team a run. Makes yeah. zero sense, Joe Madden. You, you, yeah, I can't even debate you on that because it's just it's it's crazy. Beyond stupid. And here's one last from uh, last night. Miguel Cabrera is coming up. Chance to get his 3,000th hit in front of the home crowd in Detroit. They're winning the game three nothing. Bottom, I think it was bottom of the eighth. It was his last at bat of the day. Hey, Yankees intentionally walk him. I thought. <laughs> I thought that that was probably uh, the most embarrassing uh, baseball story I read yesterday, except 
You had that college pitcher. I'm sure yeah, you saw that. Tackled the third base. Crushing tackled. the guy coming around third base. And he was kicked off the team, by the way. I can't can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, had it not been for that, yeah, the Yankees walking Miguel Cabrera in that situation. Down three runs, yeah. no less. I think that would have been, it, it, you know, I hate to use this word, but a violation. Yeah. I think it would have been a violation had the game been tied in that spot. Right. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, that's that's horrible. I mean, those people paid to go to that game to see, to try and see history. I, I got to say, like, there's really no, and we're deep into the show, so yeah. if you're still listening, then you're, you're hardcore. I mean, what an ultimate fuck you. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I come on. Now, good, the good news is, is that at least – at least, Detroit's still at home this weekend. So yeah. those fans will get an opportunity to see it against Colorado this weekend. But, because could you imagine if that was it and they were going on a road trip? And they were leaving town after Oh, that. man. Yeah. It would have been yeah. even worse. Yeah. would have been even worse. But, yeah, that's bad. I, the Yankees, you know, no good there either. Yep. Well, there you go. Two episodes in one week. As usual, we uh, we went longer than we had anticipated, but that's okay. So the Phillies have a big weekend with the Milwaukee Brewers ahead. They need to get back on track. Will they? Won't they? Who the hell knows? But we will be back on Monday morning to talk about this, and that will be when you can expect our latest episode of Crossed Up. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Make sure that you subscribe. Follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube now, I believe, so you can check us out pretty much anywhere. If we're going to be on YouTube, Anthony, moving forward, i got to make sure that I shave and put on a nicer shirt. Uh, I was kind of caught off guard by this. I got a text message from... I got a text message from Russ. He's like, make sure you tell people you can follow Crossing Broad on YouTube. And I said, oh, come on, man. So I just got out of bed. That's come all on. good. It's all good. All right. So, yeah. Hopefully for the people, I'll look a little bit more cleaned up next time. And we will uh, talk to you guys soon.